Welcome to Unconventionally Speaking, the PSA podcast where we go behind the scenes to learn about the triumphs and tribulations that help shape the careers of our Unconvention 2022 learning gurus and experienced masters. Not only will you get a sneak peek into their session, you'll also gain valuable insight into the speaking business and tips on how to navigate the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Kim Sealing-Smith, CSP, host of Unconventionally Speaking. And today, boy, do I have a treat in store for you. I am speaking to Angelique Ruers, who is the CEO and founder of Bold House, a global powerhouse community of unapologetic change agents who are raising the rules of business and reshaping the world. And full disclosure... I'm one of those unapologetic change agents because, Angelique, I have been working with you for, what, five years now, I think it is. Wow. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Try not to age me, though, would you? I mean... <laughs> I'll, still, I'll still always be older than you, so don't worry about aging. Oh, five Besides years. That, you look yeah. fabulous. You always look... I know. Oh. I know. And I remember our first call, you had just moved to Florida and yeah. there was some telephonic issues, and you mm -hmm. were trying to have the call with me <laughs> on your cell phone and in Florida. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have ever been to Florida, you know that it's pretty flat. And Angelique was looking for <laughs> the highest place in her neighborhood to get cell reception. It was so funny. I ended up staying on my, it wasn't my table. We had just moved to Florida. So we rented a home for a year and oh, they had a table in the backyard and I ended up standing on top of the table, um, in order to get cell phones. So I'm outside, you know, I'm sure the neighbors are like, Oh, great. Look at these new people who have moved in and the new neighbor is standing on top of a table out back. But there was a lot to learn about living in South Florida. I'm going to have to write a book about that. Um, but it was, you know, Kim, I think what, as you said, that five years, and I know a lot of folks who are listening are obviously people who are go-getters. They're driven. It's why they're mm -hmm. part of the organization, why they're listening to this podcast. And I think about how much has transpired in those last five years and oh, yeah. how much you've accomplished, how much our organization has grown and changed in five years. And I think about the intentions that were set then that have come to fruition now. Yes. And then I think about this opportunity that we all have given the last two years of time yeah. to set yeah. some really we're, powerful we're intentions about, about where we all want to. Yeah. And what life's going to be like five years from now. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, you did obviously see the questions because you, you're already hitting the questions, but let's not get a ahead of ourselves. As speakers, and I know that that's one of the many things that you do at Bold House, mm -hmm. as speakers, we obviously have showreels. So give us, you know, spend a couple minutes giving us your verbal showreel. What do you normally speak on and what wows your audiences? Mm. So our call to fame, our zone of, of brilliance is in teaching small business owners and self-employed experts to win corporate clients. And mm. that really tends to be almost always what I'm speaking about. There's a lot of facets to that. You know, I think the challenge that we have at Bold House and the challenge I have as a speaker is that winning corporate clients 
is a nine-layer cake. It's not like going out and teaching people how to create a webinar or how to create YouTube ads or how to hire employees or how to, you know, do just that one thing. It's similar in your business where you're transforming organizations from the inside out, soup to nuts. And it's like, it's not just one thing. And if you pull on one thread of spaghetti, you end up pulling with it every other topic, right? And um, I know you have that challenge in organizations as well, because you can't just fix recruiting or just fix engagement or just fix culture. And so we talk about winning corporate clients. And almost always what I find myself talking about is how do you really get to conversations with decision makers? Because Mm. anything else, right? Like anything else that you do, and I, I was just listening to somebody's video and I was arguing with the video. I mean, the video can't hear me, but I'm arguing with the video. (laughs) I can see that. Because they were saying like, the number one thing you have to do as a consultant is to, you know, establish yourself as a thought leader. And I thought, you know, yeah, that's, you know, that's great. But honestly, I know a lot of people who've spent 20 years establishing themselves as thought leaders and cannot get in front of a decision maker to save their life. And so they gave themselves a bunch of gold stars and zero gold bars. I love and that. so, yeah. right? And so for yep. me, it's a, that's it, Kim. It's about, at the end of the day, it's about getting in front of those real decision makers who have the, the authority, the budget, and the mindset to say yes to making a change, whether yeah. that changes for themselves, their team, or the entire organization. If they're not empowered to say yes and take action on that yes, then you're not in front of the right people. So that's really yeah. what I like to talk about more than anything. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. And we all know that Hollywood greats all had a secret career before they became famous. Well, it's yours. <laughs> how did you how did you come to do what you did? What led you to to this place? So my, I would say the biggest thing that led me here, I spent not quite 10 years in corporate. And during that time, I was so fortunate. I had the most unusual roles that allowed me access to C-level executives on a daily basis. That's who I spent my time with. And so in those roles, the special projects that I ran, the change initiatives that I ran, put me in a place where I had budgets and I had decision-making authority. And I was also in the rooms as committee decisions. If, you know, if there were decisions where we came together to make a, you know, a buying decision, I sat through an awful lot of awful sales presentations, <laughs> <laughs> an awful lot of awful presentations, yeah. uh, sales pitches, salespeople. And I I probably, you know, over those 10 years, I would say it was probably a couple thousand sales pitches I had to sit through. And I, I can remember over 300 buying decisions. There may have been more, but when I wrote them out over the course of a couple of months, years ago, I could remember, I actually identify over 300 specific buying decisions that I was involved in. And so when I left corporate, I was a corporate escapee. That's happening all over the world in droves right now with people leaving their jobs. I was a corporate escapee at about 28, 29 years old. And I decided, I guess I was 29, and I decided to start my own business. And then I decided to sell back to corporations. And at first, I got really overwhelmed. A friend of mine took me out because I was feeling pretty lousy about how I was going to go about getting clients. And she bought me a margarita and chips and salsa and a chocolate lava cake. And she let me... That was my dinner, margarita, chocolate lava, and chips and salsa, right? And she let me me cry into my margarita for about 20 minutes or so. 
And after I got out all the tears and all the overwhelm, she looked at me and she said, you know, look, you've spent the last 10 years hiring people, hiring experts and service providers, speakers, trainers, consultants. I feel like you know a thing or two about what not to do and what to do. So what if you actually wrote all of that down and reverse engineered it from being the decision maker? I mean, that sounds so obvious when you say it, but when you're in overwhelm, you can't see the forest for the trees. Absolutely. You can't see it, right? Yeah. So God bless her. So yeah, by the time I finished that chocolate lava cake and that margarita or three, (laughs) everything made a lot more sense. And I did. I created a system, a framework, a process for getting in front of decision makers and, and having conversations in a way not based on what sales training tells you to do or what a lot of these people who came up through sales organizations and are out mm, there yeah. teaching people. Cause you know, a lot of them are salespeople. Yeah. And that is a very, very different place to start from versus the decision maker. And also, I think for a lot of people who are speakers, who are consultants, who are coaches and service Mm. providers, you know, it's very different to be your own salesperson versus selling a product or a software for somebody else, right? Yep. And it's like you feel sick to your stomach if you have to do certain things. So yeah, so that's how I got that sort of the the story behind the story. But thank God for that margarita dinner because it really changed my whole perspective, Kim. So we all need we the sharpest knife can't carve its own handle, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that is that is absolutely (laughs) true. Absolutely true. So What made you decide to become a corporate escapee? What drove you to start your own business? Oh, there were a couple of things. I work insane hours now, but I worked insane hours then and it was pretty thankless. And you were Um, were in the defense industry, weren't you? I was was in defense and then I went into nuclear energy, energy trading and nuclear energy. I know how to pick them, don't I? (laughs) <laughs> I know how to pick them. But I was running financial communications and then they added internal communications to my plate as well. But I, you know, I would work, you know, days. We had actually just, we were going through a failed merger. Well, we were going through what we thought was going to be a merger. It ended up getting called off for a whole slate of reasons. But prior to announcing that merger, um, I was sick. I was home with bronchitis and God knows what else. I had 104 fever. My boss calls me and says, I know you're really sick, but it doesn't matter. I have to bring you over the wall on a topic. And for those, that might be a, an Americanism, but over the wall means that you have to sign papers, confidentiality papers, and be let in on something that's material to a publicly traded company. So that's, you know, he's like, I have to bring you over the wall and you have to be here at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. So anyway, so I I went in, turned out we were announcing a merger. I ended up working for three consecutive days with no, with not going home. Um, I had a fever, I couldn't eat, and I ended up living off of Red Bull for three days in order to stay awake to, to deal with the communications around the announcement of this merger. At the end of those three days, I ended up collapsing on the floor of my office Oh, yeah. And and I it was another vi- my vice president that I worked for went to New York City for the announcement. I was still in Baltimore. One of the another vice president saw me and ordered a car service to send me home because wow. uh, you know, I haven't you know, that was really like one of the final straws for me. 
That was a big one. Another one that pushed me over the edge, Kim, was that I was signing off on invoices from various outside consultants and experts that were working on a multi-million dollar project that I was running. And I'm looking at these invoices <laughs> and, you know, several of the consultants were making in a month what I was making uh, in a yes. year, mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. you know, yep. I've and had so experience. here, yeah. right. And so they're, and I'm like, I am fixing their work. They work for me. I am telling them what to do. I am giving them their direction. When they bring harebrained ideas back to me, I'm telling them that they're idiots and here's how you like, no, try again. And then... I'm like, why, why am I making, you know, I was making good money. Don't get me wrong, but they're making, you know, well over six figures in a month. And I'm like, you know, so uh, that hurt, you know, that hurt Kim. So those were some of the big reasons. And also honestly, yeah, yeah. the last one I'll tell you, and you'll appreciate this is that I was up for essentially a role that had opened and they ended up putting another woman in there who had only been with our company for a week. And I ended up challenging them on it and basically refused to report to her. Um, uh-huh. And they wanted me to train her. And when I challenged them on the decision, because I had been running everything as an acting director, and they said to me, but you're like, yes, everyone agrees that you're doing the best job of anyone who's ever been in this role, but we just feel you're too young to be able to have that title. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah. You know, so basically I was like, yeah, I'm done. Like, you know, all three of those things combined were sort of, it was three strikes, you're out. And, um, and so, you know what, here's, what's great. When I walked into my boss's office to resign, he ended up being my first, well, really second. He didn't know I had already lined up a first client, but he was basically my second client because he said, well, then I'll hire you back as our consultant. So I ended up, you know, basically I ended up getting the higher role than even what was open because I ended up being the strategic consultant back to them. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm sure it hasn't been an easy journey having your own business. Um, (laughs) Has there ever been a time, (laughs) and I know, (laughs) since I know you, I know that it hasn't been an easy journey. Has there ever been a time when you, since you started your own business, well, since you started Bold House, because you have had your own communications business before, but Mm -hmm. since you started Bold House in the iteration that it is now, has there ever been a time when you just wanted to throw it all in? What happened and how did you end up keep keeping going? Yeah. You know, it's funny because there's a story I sometimes tell about the first big event, you know, that I had and some of the nightmare of that first big conference when I got in over my head with the budget I had and the small team I had. But I still didn't want to throw it in then. The time I wanted to throw it in was actually right after we had moved to Florida. And I I was pretty frustrated because I had to fire two people on my team. There had been funny business. I'll, I'm going to be careful with my words. There was funny yeah. business going on with our financials and yeah. the individual who was running, who was managing the books and, and some real – real bad stuff going on there. And so I had to, I mean, and I'm even talking about things like the one thing I can say is, is that I was seeing fall. I was seeing cooked books. If that meant like, I wasn't even seeing the real numbers and, and yes. I, and there yeah. were really bad decisions being made on agreements to various vendors on what we'd pay and just bad, bad news stuff, you know? Mm. And so we ended up letting go of a couple of people 
But then the financials were in worse shape than I thought they were. Like, I thought we were in one place. And then when we got in there, and then there to add to that, I guess I should say, is that there was this huge tax mistake that had been made. And that's what I mean about the financials not not being where they need it to be. Because all of a sudden, I had this huge tax bill because of a mathematical error. I had this massive, you know, tax bill. So I had team turnover. I had a tax issue that we had to take care of. And as soon as we found it, we knew we had to take care of it. It wasn't, you know, we were like, oh my gosh, we have to fix this. We have to, you know, we have to be right on our numbers on this. So we did fix it, but it sucked. I mean, it really, really sucked. And, and so I would just say it was really then when I was like, do I want to keep doing this? Because I felt like I can't pay attention to everything all the time. I need to be able to trust people. Like you have to be able to trust your team. And it's not that you can't, you don't have to mind the store, but if you're asking certain questions and you're getting certain answers and it's not, the answers are a lie, You know, and again, it's trust but verify. It was a tough lesson for me to learn. But I think that was really, Kim, it just happened all at once. It was like it exploded, you know? So we turned things around in six months. You know, we got everything. We built, rebuilt the team. We took care of the tax issue. We brought in very – like we really – like all of a sudden overnight, we fixed our profit margin – and that would be my piece of advice to everybody. It wasn't a top line issue. It was a profit margin issue right. that I yeah. had. Yeah. And so yeah. that I feel like can creep up on you really quickly. That was definitely a tough yeah. lesson. Yeah. And what made you decide to keep going? Why didn't you throw it all in? Oh, why did I keep going? Well, I think the first thing is I'm a pretty stubborn individual. <laughs> no, and really? So, I know. I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> so I think part of it was just, I really, I wanted to fix it for, like, yeah. I didn't want to make a decision not to do something because there was a bit of a mess. I felt like, well, let me clean this up and then let me get through this. Let's clean up some of these issues that have come out with the team and, and otherwise, and then go from there. I actually didn't know for a little while, I actually went and bought some fran- – I bought a franchise. Um, I remember that. Remember that? Tell, and I bought tell a fran- us what kind of franchise it was. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys, I know, especially down in Australia, everyone will love this. It was a oh, yeah. franchise. It was a franchise that treats for mosquitoes. So you treat – venues, like a venues, wedding venues, sporting venues, homes and offices and restaurants for mosquitoes. So people can go outside and not get eaten alive by the enormous <laughs> mosquitoes in Florida, right? So mm, we bought a yep. mosquito. Right? It's a really, yeah. And it's a great company. There's a number of those franchises here. We actually owned a massive territory here in South Florida. It went from like People in other countries may not real, but like for if you've ever looked at the map of Florida and you see like the massive Everglades in South Florida, we basically owned from the Everglades over to the East Coast down to the tip of Miami and pretty far north. And it was a big big. territory. It was big, but you know, it was, I thought to myself, let me at least have another, like, let me build up diversity in my portfolio and let, you know, let me have another option. 
It turned out it really was not the right option for me. One thing I learned really quickly was the difference between business to consumer and business to business. My entire career has been in business to business. None of my career has been in business to consumer. And so the B2C world felt upside down to me. Like it just felt like this alien world. And so I didn't really like the B2C space, but it... In that time period, I fell back in love with my own business, you know, with my business. And I realized it was really just a, more than anything, Kim, it was a team problem that I had. And once I fixed the team, it was fine. Um, And I, you know, look, you teach organizations how to build the right teams, among Mm -hmm. other things. You just can't say enough about that. No, absolutely. It will make or break your business. And to put it in context, and a lot of our listeners will know this, but the difference between dealing with the IRS in the States, the Internal Mm. Revenue Service, and the ATO in Australia is like Uh night and day. Like when you get, when you get a notice from the IRS, you start shaking in your shoes. You know, the ATO, they'll just invite themselves in for a cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were really, and let me say this, we were really lucky because we found the mistake. Like Uh, we found it. And so, so that really, my CPA and my husband, who's now our CFO, they actually were going back through everything. And like my husband, he looked at it and he goes, like, something's weird. Like something is in his gut just instantaneously was like, I saw those numbers and I'm seeing these numbers and something feels really off. So it was great because we found it. And when you find it and you go and you say, I have to file an amendment, I have to fix my numbers with you. You know, it's a very different. So we were really fortunate. And that's why having the right team, because had I not had the right CPA, had I not had the right CFO, So we filed the amendment, we paid the bill, it was fine, but it shouldn't, that mistake should not have happened. Do you know what I mean? That mistake shouldn't have happened to begin with, but we were really lucky that we actually were proactive. And I will say that's another great thing for people who are really growing their business. You have to have checks and balances and you have to have controls in place in your business so that multiple people are looking at things. And so for us, there was a mistake. We fixed it super super fast, but I, I did not like that it happened to begin with. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, very, very stress inducing, very stress inducing. Very stress inducing. I've seen you just in the last five years and you've had, how long have you had Bold House? Well, we rebranded this year, but mm-hmm. the company, this, the Bold House company, even though we were under a different brand, got underway in 2009 and we basically went to market in 2010. So it's been 11 going on 12 years. Yeah. And I've seen you level up. Tell us about how you level up both from, you talked about a team perspective, but Mm -hmm. how you level up in terms of honing your craft, honing your offerings and honing your mindset. When you get stuck, how do you get unstuck? Oh, I love that question. So first of all, I do not like to spend more than a year to 18 months at any level. So, mm. you know, for me, I get very frustrated very quickly if if I'm not growing. And not every change, I think, is always visible publicly, if that makes sense. You know, the change can happen. Sometimes it's with how things smoothly, things might be going in your company, you know, with your team, as we were just talking about. So there's lots of ways, I think, to up-level. But basically, we decide every year what is going to be our big up-level activity 
this, that particular year, right? Sometimes it's adding team members. Sometimes this past year, the big up level for us was the rebrand because we, you know, that was a huge up level, big investment, but we also knew we were going to do it in 2021. We made that decision in 2020 that we already, we started in 2020, we started interviewing branding companies to make the decision of who we would work with. And I, it was either December or January that we signed that contract and got underway. So I am always looking and December must be my month because we just signed two contracts this month for our up level in 2022. And so, you know, basically at the end of every year, typically starts for me somewhere around October, November. I start looking at what is the big play next year. And then we basically start interviewing whoever it's going to be, whatever that service is or, or whatever. And then we typically by December 31st, we've locked in the investment. And in January, we're hitting the ground with that next thing. Every year we make a strategic investment of money. You know, when I say investment, I know a lot of people think, you know, oh, I'm just going to do it with elbow grease. It doesn't work that way. So you have to make an investment with, with money every year into the business. And then you just have to focus on what is the most important thing as the next, as the next step. So I think that for me, as far as the mindset goes, I mean, I just say yes to every time I have an opportunity to be in rooms with CEOs who are, who are at a higher level than I am. You know, I have spent in just the last year and a half, I have had the chance to spend significant time with three billionaires. Wow. Quality time with three billionaires. Mm. And so, you know, you think about, you know, having that opportunity where you get to be in the presence of a billionaire and learn from them and hear from them. And it makes a big difference to do that. I'm going to spend about next in 2022, I'll be spending about a week with CEOs of 40 and $50 million businesses. And so I think anytime you get that opportunity, Kim, to be around people at a higher level, yeah. you've got to say yes to that. Yeah, yeah. And that that inspires you and really creates some rarefied air that you get to breathe. And you and I have had that experience together about three years ago with one of those billionaires, with Richard Branson. Yes. So yeah, yes. absolutely, absolutely. So the last two years have been unique. You have grown through the last two years. How have they affected you from either a, a mindset or a personal issue or a business issue, what's different now for you than before the pandemic? That's such a great question. So I I think that the biggest thing that's different for me is that I'm. if you can imagine this, I'm even more emboldened. <laughs> and I know that's like a, a funny thing for me to say, yeah, but I'm, I'm more emboldened because we watched as people, and we can go back. I mean, I, I can bring the receipts on this. There are so many videos, webinars, and events where I'm on stage saying to everyone, or I'm on Zoom, or what have you saying, the economy is not always going to be so great. Yep. You yep. can't just count on, you know, you're not really knowing how to grow your business. And there's always going to be like, if you're not diversified in what, you know, we watched it with keynote speakers who they didn't have multiple revenue streams right. and really Absolutely. their business came to a halt, right? Yeah. We saw it with consultants and coaches and trainers and everyone else. So our clients who heeded our advice, 
who had really well padded pipelines, who had really built, you know, deep Rolodexes of relationships, who were able to pick up the phone and get on and talk to their clients and not afraid of their clients. And they, they had really cultivated those relationships who had diversified their services, who had built up a cushion in their revenue, you know, and had enough opportunity to be able to weather it, you know, they did weather it. And so I guess I felt, you know, really more emboldened because of the pandemic in and somewhat vindicated in what we have been telling people for mm-hmm. a decade of yeah. like, this is what you need to do. And yeah. so a lot of our clients really did just fine getting through financially. Now, an emotional, from a tragedy perspective, I mean, we're coming up on 800,000 deaths here in the United States, which is really heartbreaking. Unbelievable. You know, millions of lives have been lost around the world. People have lost their livelihoods, their homes. You know, people have had to say goodbye to loved ones from a distance. I mean, there's been a tremendous amount of trauma on this planet for the last two years. And my heart goes out to folks. I was, I was happy that we could support our clients during that time to the best of our ability to help them stay focused and keep going even though it was hard to do that. But it's worse if your business falls apart. It's worse if you don't get to, right? If you don't get to do the work you love. So, you know, I'm not a healthcare worker. I'm not a public policy administrator. You know, I can't help with those things. But the one thing we could help with was to keep people focused and growing their business during that time. And most of our clients, I would say 90% of our clients are people who are doing work that really directly impacts employees and humans in a really personal, deep way. And And so it's important work. Yeah, it's important work. So that was for me, I would say just emboldened, Kim, that, you know, really it just makes me want to double down and speak twice as loud about understanding and also treating your business with urgency. Yeah. Because yeah. everyone always thinks they have all this time. And and we started this conversation talking about how fast the last five years have gone. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people sadly thought they had all this time to build their business. And then the pandemic hit and it stole two years from their business mm-hmm. momentum from them. And mm-hmm. it's good. Some people, Kim, will spend the next two years not being able to get their mojo back. Yeah. And then, you know, then your five years, it's like five years will be gone. Yeah. That's yeah. So, you knew me. I always say that tiger time is chasing us all. We've got to move with haste. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So you have, because I've been on some of those calls, I've been yes. on, you know, seen you uh, from stage talking about the economy. Take us out the next 10 years. What do you foresee mm-hmm. from an economic standpoint, from a business standpoint with the clients that you work with? And, and honestly, quite you know, quite honestly, from a, a speaking standpoint, where where is the mm. speaking industry going? What do you see? Yeah. So first of all, you know, 2022 for the United States will be a very strong year financially. And Europe won't be far behind the United States on this. I can't speak as much to Australia because 
your the way that Australia has handled the pandemic has been very different than the United States, obviously. I think everyone watching the news knows that. Yes. So I don't <laughs> know what the recovery pace will be in Australia. But United States, the good news, I think, for Australia is that the United States will be strong, followed by yes. Europe, and we are a global economy. So when, when other parts of the world are strong, it, it tends to help all of us. And so I think the first thing is that we're going to see a really strong 2022 and a very strong 2023. What I worry about, my, what keeps one of the things that, two things, I guess, keep me up at night. One thing that keeps me up at night for the next 10 years is the amount of disruption to jobs caused by AI and advanced automation and robotics. I'm very concerned because I don't think that we're doing enough at an, at a elementary school, K-12, primary, depending on the terms everybody uses, primary school level, I don't think we're doing enough to prepare the world. I don't think we're doing enough to prepare people whose jobs are going away to be ready for that and starting the training now. So I'm concerned about that impact on the economy for the next 10 years. And I would encourage speakers to really lean into that because we're already seeing So here's the number one thing that CEOs are saying of major companies coming out of the pandemic. And the great resignation is actually making this happen. CEOs feel like because humans all had to go work from home, Mm -hmm. because humans decided to quit and not come back, Mm-hmm. Because because of supply chain issues that happened oh, yeah. and a million other things, they feel like advanced automation and AI just needs to happen faster. Like their whole response is, we can't just let this more, happen again. Get more machines in. Get more, more machines. machines. Replace these humans. Yes. These, these more humans machines. Are, are, are too much trouble. Too much trouble. And also, since they're not coming back, I mean, we have over a million people here in the United States. There's over a million people in Europe in the UK who haven't gone back to work yeah. that don't want to go back too. to work. And, yeah, and millennials and Gen Z, they see that they can make $85,000 US dollars a year on TikTok as a job working four hours a day. Why would they go get a job? It, you know, exactly. so, right. So we're even seeing it here, you know, fast food, everything. How can we actually minimize? There's talk out of Gartner, for those of you who follow Gartner, there's talk out of Gartner that some bosses will be replaced with AI, that AI will basically manage people and that that's going to start accelerating. So I'm very concerned about that, Kim. And I think speakers really need to Think about that when, if they want to be on the cutting edge of topics that are going to be covered. And I think another issue that's really going to is getting scary, scary, scary. I mean, it's always been scary. Now it's scary, scary is the, is global warming. Mm, Yeah. And, you know, the climate change that's happening. And we're already seeing certain islands, you know, disappearing and, you know, all of the displacement from that. So I think that's going to drive our economy in big ways. Now, it doesn't all have to be doom and gloom. We also know that there are more investments than ever in global warming, climate change, and that's going to create a whole lot of jobs. It's, we have two new industries that are going to boom, aside from AI and robotics. We have the space industry and we have the climate industry. And those two industries are going to explode in the next decade 
And so I think there's a huge opportunity for speakers in both of those areas. So how do we position ourselves for that? How do we how do we get ready for that? How do we serve our audiences better knowing that these things are barreling down at us? I think the first thing is to this is an expression. This is an expression we use here in our most a lot of our clients are based in the US. So apologies if this doesn't translate as well, but a lot of people treat their message, their talk title, their message as their baby. Like, oh, you yeah. know, someone has a new baby, they want to show everybody pictures of their baby or you get a new puppy, you want to show everybody pictures of your puppy. And so it's like, oh, look at my baby. Isn't my baby so cute? My baby's taking their first steps. This is my baby's first snowball. This is my, you know, my baby's first words. Everybody loves their baby. And so everyone really, I think, you know, a lot of times it's really easy as a speaker because you care so passionately about your message that you lead with that. You lead with the message and you forget to make, you know, most people get really bored after the second photo of looking at someone's new puppy, right? Or vacation photos. People come back from vacation and they want to show you a hundred photographs and you're pretty much bored after the second photograph because you really don't (laughs) care, right? Like it's about your life. Last night, my my partner spent 10 minutes showing me his steam engine that he just got back. Oh, there you go. It's your steam engine there. Kim, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. That's where yes, right. Yes, so yes. is this you? Everybody has their baby, their steam engine, <laughs> their cookies that they bake, whatever it is, right? And so I think it's really important as speakers that you're really thinking about the like aligning the message to that particular audience. And you know, I actually was on a clubhouse audio room a couple of weeks ago with a bunch of speakers from the US and Europe. And I piped in because they were asking for secrets and strategies for speakers who were just getting started. And everyone was coming, you know, everyone had this, you know, these are all speaker coaches and they're all, and I piped in and I said, look, when I was in corporate, there were at least 10 events a year that I was involved in getting speakers for. And I've put on an event every year, if not multiple events every year, dating back to 2012 in my company. And I've helped corporate clients put on events. So I have had to book speakers, a significant number of speakers. And I can't tell you, actually, I could tell you that just I could count on one hand the number of speakers who are proactive about really taking the time to understand the purpose and mission of the event itself. Yeah. Like, what is the mission of the event? Why is that company, that organization, that association, why are they spending all of this money and all of these resources in order to bring people together? Why are they going through the headache of doing that? What is the mission of the event? And a lot of speakers really don't take the time, Kim, to understand what that is. So if you understand what that, if you take that time and you understand what it is, then you can make yourself more valuable as a speaker because then you can relate to these issues. You can also bake into your talk how your message, how your strategy or the theme or whatever it is that you communicate in your talk, you can tie it to these bigger global issues. You can draw the dotted line between if I'm here talking about you know, leadership, or I'm here talking about creativity, or I'm here talking about productivity, or I'm here talking about innovation or trust or whatever the the central theme of your keynote is, 
How will that help organizations and the leaders in the organization and the leaders that are sitting in the audience think about these huge retractable problems in a new light? How are you relating your message to these really big issues that leaders are contending with right now? And I don't see enough speakers doing that. I don't see them relating it to the mission of the event or to these really big issues. And I think right now in the speaking industry, it's an opportunity to really differentiate yourself. Yeah. Yeah, so so important, so important. I couldn't agree more. So speaking of events, give yes. us just a little sneak preview of <laughs> what you have in store for us at Unconvention. I am so excited about this event. I'm so honored to be there, Kim. My only regret is that this darn thing won't go away oh, and no. we're virtual. It'll be amazing yeah. nonetheless. I just love meeting people in per I just love you know, meeting people in person, but it'll be, we've done some virtual conferences ourselves and they're so great because you can actually get in a ton of content Yeah, and, and just really, the nice thing is you're home, you can take copious notes, you can really stay focused. You don't have to worry about travel, but I'm still really sad. I won't see you in person <laughs> and meet everyone in person. So we're going to talk about these changes in getting the decision maker's attention and getting to the decision maker table and also helping the decision makers to helping you help your customer to buy from you. You know, I think we have to understand that we're in a place where leaders are disengaged, disinterested, and distracted. Mm-hmm. And and that's true because they're completely overwhelmed and burnt out. You know, we're dealing with massive leadership vacancies throughout organizations, oh, yeah. massive vacancies in positions at all levels of the organization, intractable problems like the you know, the supply chain issues and some of the others that we've talked about. You know, you look at all of this stuff that's going on and how in the world are leaders supposed to make decisions on transformation inside their organization right now when every last decision has a hundred interdependencies and unknowns. And so what we really want to help speakers do is not just, it's great to get booked to speak. But that's just the beginning of the transformation that you can have for the organizations and the audiences that you're speaking to. So how do you take that? How do you take that speaker's platform, transition it into making really long-lasting transformation for organizations? And the only way you can do that is to get the undivided attention of decision makers and truly be their strategic partner in helping them make decisions, get consensus on those decisions, and say yes to transformation. So that's really what I want to talk to speakers about. At the end of the day, it's about helping everybody make more money as a speaker. But, you know, I don't think... I don't know that any of us go out and speak, you know, just, you can't, speaking requires your mind, body, and soul. You're, you have to put your whole heart into it. So if you're out there speaking, you know, yes, we want you to make a lot more money as a speaker, but also we know that your message and your transformation is important or you wouldn't be out there doing what you do. So, you know, the money is really just a side effect yeah. of an organization saying yes to working with you and getting a big transformation. And so, you know, to me, the work is more important than the money, but the money matters too. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love, and I've heard you say this so many, so many times. It's not just about the gold stars. It's about the gold bars. Okay. So are you ready for our rapid fire? I am ready. I love rapid fires. (laughs) Ah, Fantastic. Favorite online platform? Oh, sugar. Definitely CNBC. Oh, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Favorite tech hack? Favorite tech hack? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, Loom. Loom Loom.com. So I can just record my feedback to clients super quick instead of writing long emails and, you know, share screen. I just love it. Oh, so good. Favorite productivity hack? Blocking my time and doing all of one task in one day. Today was a podcast day. So this is like my fifth podcast of the day. And you are so good at that. And this is something that I need to model myself. Okay. Favorite meal? Oh, in the United States, we have blue crabs, and in Maryland, they're oh, yeah. like famous. They have Old Bay on them, and you they're very messy, and they're cooked in beer, blue crabs all day long. <laughs> we will have to, when you do come to Australia, because you will come to Australia, yes. uh, you will be live in front of our audiences at some point in time. We will have to introduce you to our famous seafood. Oh, uh, I would love it. We don't have blue crabs, but we do have loads of seafood here. So favorite holiday spot? Mm, Favorite holiday spot. So definitely in Baltimore, there is a place that's a Christmas shop. And it's like you fell into the North Pole. So that for me, in fact, my dining room right now looks like the North Pole. My husband set up a snow village. And so I am a total Christmas nut. Okay, oh, you so mean here, holiday. You I mean vacation. Say, so here we, we have a translation issue. Yeah, because yeah. you we mean vacation. vacation spot. Yes. <laughs> I was like, holiday. Okay. Uh, that's really funny. As I said, I'm like, she means like European <laughs> Australia holiday. Um, so our my favorite, favorite, favorite place to go in aside from Necker Island, which is amazing. Of um, but my favorite, my favorite island is Grenada, which is is towards South America. Mm. Yeah, perfect. And you, I think you go there almost every year, don't every you? Every year. Every year, yep. yeah. Cool. I think I know the answer to this, but wine, beer, gin, vodka, or tequila? Oh, champagne. Oh, of course. <laughs> champagne. Of course, of course. If you, And I'm really fascinated to hear the answer to this question. If you could have dinner with any three people in the world, who would they be? Oh, that's such a great question. Ryan Reynolds, for one. I already had dinner with Sir Richard Branson, so I'm not going to say him. I would probably Venus Williams or Serena Williams or both. Mm If that I can have both of them as counts, you, you can one. have two for the price of one. They're twins, so yeah. I think they're I was they're phenomenal entrepreneurs. They're phenomenal athletes, and Barack Obama. Oh, fascinating. Okay, why Ryan Reynolds? Oh, well, one, he's absolutely just dreamy. And two, two, because he's a phenomenal entrepreneur. Like he is involved in so many. Yeah, he's a phenomenal entrepreneur. And he's really used his personality in order. I mean, he really, the way he built his platform and his relationships, and he uses his personality in a certain way. He's also an entrepreneur. He's involved in all sorts of different things, kind of like Ashton Kutcher. You know, it's it's really interesting to I'm loving watching these celebrities move from the celebrity world and parlay celebrity 
into entrepreneurship. And mm, it's funny, really yeah. fascinating. And I would have all sorts of business questions to ask him. Yeah. And, and also last, he's dreaming. <laughs> yeah. And he's dreaming. Yes, absolutely. That goes without saying. And my last question, you are so well read and so well versed on a wide variety of topics. Where do you get your inspiration? Favorite book, podcast, or other professional inspiration? Where do you go to? So, so I know everyone is all about books. I get that. And <laughs> I read a, between 50 and 100 articles a day. And I listen to the finance, I listen to financial news every morning while I'm getting ready for the kids ready for school. I'm getting ready for my day, having my coffee. Books are great, but by the time they're out, you know, there it's months and months, you know, for a book to hit the street. And I really get my inspiration from hearing what's happening in Wall Street every morning. And in most of the financial news, you have an opportunity, the CEOs will go on and they will talk about what's going on in their organization. And you learn so much and it just gets me fired up every day because I hear, every single morning, I hear opportunity. All you hear is opportunity. If you listen to what executives are saying and heads of organizations are saying about what's going on in their organization, and a lot of it's driven by consumer behavior, et cetera, you know what's happening in the world. And that fires me up because every single day the world is different. Something new is happening in the world every day. And when you learn to listen to the current sort of state of affairs of the big thinkers who are leading these global organizations, it's so inspiring. Um, you know, really just to stay on the cutting edge. So to me, it's all about what's happening today, what's going to happen tomorrow. So if you're not listening to the financial news every morning, whether you're exercising or walking, even if you don't, you know, you might not trade on, you know, the stock market, but if you're listening to senior executives of major organizations, you really can understand what's happening in the world and you can be relevant to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Angelique Gruers. As always, it has been a pleasure to spend time with you. Very much appreciated. I am so excited to be introducing you to our PSA community and to speakers, coaches, consultants at large, both here in Australia and New Zealand, as well as around the world, those of you who are listening. And if you like what you heard, register for Unconvention because she is a powerhouse. Let me tell you, friends, Angelique is a powerhouse and she delivers nothing but value. So I, for one, am really looking forward to your session and thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unconventionally Speaking. We have over 30 unspeakers of this caliber at Unconvention on the 25th and 26th of March. So grab your seat today. Just click the link included in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone that you know who would also get value from this conversation. And follow or subscribe to the show to ensure that you never miss an episode. See you all at PSA Unconvention 2022. This episode is sponsored by Your Podcast Concierge, podcast production for speakers who want to increase their authority and generate leads from their show. You press record and let them do the rest. And to this, I can personally attest.